Uh, welcome, everyone, to Mosaic. Uh, if this is your first time, a special welcome uh, to you. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really an honor to worship God together with you. Um, last week, we talked about praise, and we talked about the importance of praise in the life of the Christian. And I don't know about you, I, I felt like there was a special spirit of praise today as we gave um, our worship to the Lord. And I'm just so glad to hear the stories of people who are fighting to, to praise God throughout the week um, after last week's sermon. And if you're here for the first time, uh, we are in the, the Psalm series. At the beginning of this year, we started a, a series in the Psalms, and we called it Reconnecting with God. And it's talking about intimacy and relationship with God, and especially for those who feel far away from the Lord, how we can come back into a relationship with Him. And today, we continue in that series talking about one kind of major thing that keeps us from having intimacy with God. It's kind of a big looming elephant in the room that uh, keeps us from being close to Him. And that thing, that elephant, is sexual sin. Is sexual sin. And it's something that is so uh, detrimental to us um, as a people. And it's something that not only keeps you from God, but it's also something that tells you because you have this, you could never be close with God. Right? It's something that tells us that because you have sexual sin in your life, you can never be close with the Lord. And it's so pervasive, um, not only in the world, but in the church. Among Christians, it's something so pervasive and it's so detrimental to our relationship with the Lord. Um, there's a brother named Harry Schomburg, and he's a counselor who specializes in helping Christians with sexual addiction. And one of the things that he says is pornography use is so pervasive that he's gone from asking people if they struggle with pornography to not even asking if anymore. But the question he now asks is, how serious is your addiction to pornography? He just moved on to that because it's so pervasive. And this is kind of a common shared secret that many, many Christians that we hold in our lives, um, the sexual sin that's telling us that we could never be close to God. As we continue in our Psalm series, today's Psalm, Psalm 51, speaks to this and speaks and proclaims our freedom from this. And so if you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to Psalm 51. I'm just going to read the first six verses of Psalm 61. Although we're going to cover the other verses, I'm just going to read the first six, and we're going to look at this together. And I believe that the Lord has today a plan for freedom from, for some of you from this bondage that you have been in. That's really what I proclaim and hope. And so this is Psalm 51, verse 1. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. He says, this is David. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin, it's ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 51 is probably one of the most uh, famous and beloved psalms 
um, in the entire book, but it's written in the echoes of a terrible sexual sin that David has committed in his life. And in this psalm, we see him battling the shame of it, battling the shame of the, the sexual sin that he has committed. And he's not just asking for purity again, but he's asking for intimacy again with God in the face of this big sin that's in his life. And today I want to proclaim to you, brothers and sisters, that there can be victory in this area of your life. And I know that that's hard to believe for some because you have been in this for so long. But today I want to show you that the only way to really have victory in this is to apply the gospel deeply in the areas of your life that you haven't been able to apply, and particularly in this area of sexual sin. And it can be frightening, actually, to expose this and to bring the gospel into it, but we're going to do that today. And I want to show you how we, we need to do this. And some of you may even think the way that we're approaching this and applying the gospel may even feel a little bit irresponsible. But today's sermon is particularly for those who feel like they really do want to come back to the Lord, but feel so embarrassed and ashamed um, of their sexual sin. And today, Psalm 51 is going to help us to get there. Um, we're going to be looking at the shame of sexual sin, and then I want to give you three gospel truths that we need to push deeply into our hearts in order to even begin to come out of this bondage. Uh, would you bow your heads with me and ask the Lord for wisdom and help? <sighs> Father, as we sit here under your word, I just feel for many people who want to be close to you, but feel they never can or aren't even allowed to because of this. Father, today, won't your spirit come and minister to my brothers and sisters? Do the kind of releasing and freeing of the captives that only the spirit of God and the gospel can do. We bow our heads because we really believe that you can do this. And for those who don't believe that can happen, help them with their unbelief today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, first, we're going to look at the, the shame of a sexual sin. And if you have a physical Bible, you'll see at the heading of this psalm that there's an introduction here giving you a little bit of context to what this uh, passage is about. And it says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Um, here, David is crying out in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. And so far in the Psalms, we've seen David cry out for enemies that were outside of him, struggles that were outside of him. But today, we see him crying out for help for the enemy that's within him, probably the most formidable enemy in his life and in all of our lives, which is ourselves. And the context here that the heading gives us is that this is a Psalm that was written after David had committed this terrible Sin. You see, David was king of Israel and he was on his roof when a woman named Bathsheba was taking a bath on the top of her roof. And he looked down to this woman who was the wife of his general Uriah. And he looked and he was overcome with lust. And in a moment of sin and evil and stupidity, King David abuses his power and he brings this woman into his chambers, summons her, and essentially he rapes her. And through that, he conceives a child. And for two years after this, he engages in a cover-up. He covers up what he has done. He kills her husband, Uriah. And for two years, he does not bring it to the Lord. And he engages in a long season of covering up his sin. And Psalm 51 
is the moment where he comes out of this and finally confronts what he has done after his long season of covering this up. You see, Nathan the prophet goes up to him and tells him in front of others that he has committed this sin and he has done a terrible thing and something clicks in his heart and David comes to repentance and he finally deals with this thing with the Lord and he pens Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is called a penitent psalm or a a psalm of penance. And there are seven psalms like this in your Bible. Um, And I'd give you the numbers, but you probably forget them anyway. But these psalms of penance, remember I told you that the psalms give you words when you don't know how to talk to God? These psalms of penance give you words when you have committed heinous things and you have committed sins and you don't even know how to talk to God about them. And these psalms of penance give you those words for your lips. And they bring you to the Lord when you need to come to him the most. Because you see, in those moments when you've committed those sins, that's the most important time for you to come to the Lord. But those are the times when it's hardest to come to the Lord. And you wait like David did, or you cover up, and you don't want to approach him about it because you are afraid. But these psalms of penance, brothers and sisters, give you the words that you need to come to the Lord and deal with your sexual sin. Maybe we should start off with a a definition of sexual sin, and um, it's a very specific definition, and I don't know how much it's going to actually help you, but I do want to give you a definition. According to the Bible, sexual sin is all sexual activity outside of the confines of biblical marriage, outside of the confines of biblical marriage. And so there's a breadth of different things that could be under this, but today, instead of focusing on the prohibition against sexual sin, I want to deal with what's underneath sexual sin. Because what I see in Psalm 51 is David dealing with the stuff that's underneath his heart. And I'm not downplaying sexual sin and the consequences of sexual sin. There are real consequences of sexual sin. But today I want to focus on what David is crying out to the Lord about, and it's the stuff that's going on underneath his heart. You see, I know very few people who have actually had victory in this area without actually understanding why they're committing these sins and these particular sins and what's underneath all of it. Um, I want to give you a book recommendation, and it's actually a book that's been helpful for me, and it's called Unwanted, Unwanted by uh, Jay Stringer. He's a, a counselor, and he writes in this book, Unwanted, about these unwanted sexual desires that we have, these addictions that we have that we want to get rid of, but we can't. And we hate our sin, but we keep coming back to these sins. And he calls this book Unwanted. And he says that your sexual sins are not random, but in fact, there is a story underneath why you are committing those particular sexual sins. In fact, he even in the, in the book goes over why you are attracted to certain kinds of pornography. And what are the stories that are underneath it. And so I want to recommend that book to you. It's been a help to me, and hopefully it's a help to you. And I want to say, if you see that book in your house, it's not because um, your spouse, you know, if your spouse has ordered the book, it's not necessarily because they have this severe sexual addiction in their life, and you should be worried. But this is a book that helps us all to understand our sexuality. And so I I want to remove that fear of ordering this book. Um, It's helpful to you, and it's been helpful to me. Something that we have to understand about sexual addictions is that lust, the sexual sense is not just about lust, but there are a lot of things underneath. For example, one of the reasons we are addicted to sexual sin is because there's a brokenness in our hearts regarding intimacy. That might have 
happened in your kind of journey growing up, but there's an intimacy brokenness in us that's causing this in our lives. And I wonder if King David, despite all of his success and all the power that he accrued, if there was something going on with his intimacy, with his family and the Lord. For many of us, um, it's a, a challenge of loneliness that drives us to this, this challenge of loneliness. And a lot of our sexual addictions are ways that we self-medicate ourselves because of the things that we're feeling. Think about it. For those of you who are struggling with this, don't your sexual addictions come out more pronounced when you are tired? Doesn't it come out more when you're disappointed with your life? Isn't it when you feel deprived in your life? And that deprivation tells you, I deserve this, I should have this, I should do this. And that deprivation leads you to entitlement. And that entitlement brings you to a place where you engage in these things that you don't want to do. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot going on underneath our sexual desires. In fact, Jay Stringer says that there are four indicators that men will be more likely to be unfaithful in their marriage. And these four leading indicators, according to Stringer, is childhood sexual abuse, depression, feeling overwhelmed in your daily life, and shame. That if these four indicators are in somebody's life, that the chances of them being unfaithful in their marriage are very, very high. And so all I'm saying to you is that our sexual sin is complex and we need to understand what's going on underneath them. If you have been in a bondage to sexual addictions, please consider going to get counseling. There should be no shame in getting counseling. We all need it. I've gotten counseling. Others have gotten counseling. It's something that we need and it's very helpful to understand. Your willpower alone is probably not going to help you to have victory in this. You need to start to understand what's underneath it. And the biggest driver of sexual sin and the biggest trap of sexual sin is shame. The shame of it. You see, what happens is the shame that we grew up with actually leads us to sexual behavior that confirms that we are shameful people. And then engaging in those activities cycles back and tells us that we are deserving of our shame. And then feeling deserving of our shame, we commit more sexual acts of shame. And that cycle goes on and on again. That is what's driving many of us. You know, there are young women who have given themselves over to to sexual acts that they know are beneath them, but something inside them tells them that you are unlovable, that you are worthless, that you are hopeless. And they give themselves over to these things because of the shame that they feel inside. And Satan will use that against you over and over again. And this is, I truly believe, this is why Satan likes to use sexual sin against us, because it's the anti-gospel. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. You see, shame tells us that you are worthless and hopeless and you are unlovable. And because of that, we start to act out in those things. And we begin to live into those things. That's exactly how the gospel works in reverse, You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are beloved, that you are worthy, brothers and sisters, that you are forgiven. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that apart from what you have done, you are loved because of what Jesus has done, and you are worthy because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, we start to act out in those ways. We start to act in our lives like we're beloved. We start to act like we are loved, like we're worthy, and we start to live in the power of the gospel. And it comes to life 
because of the truth that goes into our hearts. This is the way that Paul puts it. Let me read to you from Philippians 3.12. Paul says this, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. See, because Jesus has made me his own and that truth comes, not that I'm perfect, not that I'm worthy of it, but I strive to make it my own because he's made me his own. You see, the gospel comes into our hearts and make us act out in power and in love, generosity, kindness. The truth becomes reality in the gospel. What shame does is the very opposite. Shame comes into your life and tells you that you are worthless, that you are unlovable, that you are hopeless, and we act out in that way. You see, the only way we come out of that is to come into the cycle of the gospel. And today, brothers and sisters, I want to give you three truths that you need to speak to yourself, that you need to believe in, in order to start to come out of this cycle of shame and sin. These three uh, come from Psalm 51, and the first truth that we need to speak to ourselves is this truth that his mercy triumphs over your shame. That God's mercy is big enough and more powerful than your shame. Let's read verse 1 and 2 again. This is what David writes in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God. You see this emphasis on mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. We need to go right at sin and shame with repentance. You know, Dre Stringer, he gives this great illustration. Um, have you guys ever heard of Shark Week? Shark Week, yeah. So Shark Week is, I think it's on the Discovery Channel, this show that, that um, documents sharks. And there was an interview done with the cameraman of Shark Week. Can you imagine being the cameraman of Shark Week? You have to go underwater and you're filming great white sharks and tiger sharks and all these things. And the interviewer asked the question that I've been wondering myself. The interviewer asked the cameraman of Shark Week, what do you do if one of those sharks that you are filming starts to swim at you? What if a great, you're filming Shark Week and the great white shark or a tiger shark start coming at you? What do you do? And the cameraman, he answered, Well, there's only one thing you can do. There's only one thing you can do, and it's the most counterintuitive thing to do, but this is the only thing that works. You swim right at the shark. Okay, this is, I'm a pastor. That's not survival advice, so I'm not sure if it's true, but that's what he said. He said, this is the only thing that works. You swim right at the shark. And he said, this is the reason why. Because when you swim right at the shark, it triggers a defense mechanism in the shark. The shark thinks everything that I swim at in this ocean swims away from me. But this thing is swimming right at me. And so maybe this is not prey, but this is a predator. And this shark, a defense mechanism is triggered and swims away from me. He says, the only thing you can do is swim right at the shark. If you swim away, it's going to tell the shark, I'm prey. I'm prey. You have to swim right at the shark. In Psalm 51, you see after two years of David swimming away from the shark, covering this up, hiding this, you see David swimming finally at the shame. You see, brothers and sisters, shame's only power over you is if you hide. It only has power in your life if you decide to run away from it. 
It thrives in your silence. It keeps you in the dark. And the more you let shame keep you in the dark, the scarier it is to come out of the dark. Shame has this power, but it's only activated if you decide to give into it and run away. What you see in the psalm right now is David saying to God, God, I'm no longer going to hide. He says, I know my transgressions. He's finally coming to God after two years of hiding. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. He swims right at the shame with repentance and confession, believing that God's mercy is big enough. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your abundant mercy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to swim right at you with my shame. I believe in your mercy. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Brothers and sisters, We have to believe that his mercy is big enough for our sexual sins. If we don't believe that, then we'll never swim directly at it. That's the first thing that we need to know about the gospel. His mercy is big enough for whatever you have committed. And in order for you to swim in the direction of shame directly, you need to let go of your justifications. You need to let go of all of the rationalizations and justifications for why you commit these sins. You need to let them go. Some of you say to yourself, I do this because I need this, God. You know how hard my life is? My spouse doesn't love me the way that I need. That's why I have to do this. I'm watching pornography, but at least I'm not acting on my sexual sins with another person. This isn't hurting anyone. All of those justifications are keeping you from the freedom that you need, are keeping you from going to the Lord, keeping you from the mercy That's big enough for your forgiveness. We need to go to him in confession. We need to swim right at shame with repentance and honesty. The longer you hide, the harder it will be for you. My brothers and sisters, his mercy is big enough. You have to tell yourself that. Swim right at the shame. The second gospel truth that we need to tell ourselves is that he is not surprised by your sin. He is not surprised by your sin, and he's not ashamed of your sin. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. This is so important that we know that his love does not fail when we commit sexual sins. He says, The only reason I come to you is because of your unfailing love. If it weren't for your unfailing love, I could not come to you. You see, he is not ashamed of you, even though you're ashamed of yourself. That's gospel. Even though you are ashamed of yourself when you have sexual sin, God is not ashamed of you. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ covers you. That's the gospel, right? I know it's hard to believe, but that is the gospel, brothers and sisters, that his righteousness covers you so that even when you are ashamed of your sin, he is not ashamed of you. The Spirit of God is grieved because of your sin but he is not ashamed of you. He would introduce you to anyone proudly, this is my son, my beloved son. This is my daughter, my beloved daughter. He would proudly introduce you, even in your sexual sin, because that's what the gospel does. It's a covering over you. He is not ashamed of you, even when you are ashamed of you. And he is not surprised by you. He is not surprised by your sin. This is something that um, I found to be really important in people's lives, especially in regards to confessing sexual sin. Um, You know, with my kids, 
um, I realize that sometimes that when they do something wrong, they are more anxious about my reaction than they are of the consequence. Those of you who are parents in the room might understand this, but my kids, um, they're a little bit more scared of how I'm going to react to their confession um, than they are of the consequence. Now, let me say this. There are real consequences to sexual sin. You should know that, that there are real consequences for sexual sin, and that's one of the reasons why the Lord wants to bring us out of this, because those consequences are real. But sometimes we don't come to the Lord because we're afraid we're going to shock him, or we're afraid of his reaction. And you need to know, brothers and sisters, that he already knows, that he already knows, and that should not keep you from him. Look at verse 5 with me. This is what David says. In verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, why all of a sudden is he talking about being a baby? It seems kind of out of the blue. Now, let me show you one thing that he's not saying. He's not saying, this is not my fault because I was born this way. He's not saying that. He's not skirting the issue. He's not giving off um, the guilt and the blame. And that's something, brothers and sisters, I think it's important for us to understand. What I see the world doing right now is saying that you should not have shame for your sexual sin because shame is not real. It's a social construct that your cultures have given to you and all you need to do is believe it's not there and it won't be there, right? But I think we know that shame is real. Would you have gone to Adam and Eve and told Adam and Eve, you do not need to be shameful because it's just in your head. There's no such thing as shame and sin. I see right now this is what the world is trying to do with the sin of shame and they don't know what to do with shame and so they just say, it's not real, it's not real. Well, brothers and sisters, we know, I know, you know, that shame is real. It's real because it's when we violate ourselves, right, and we feel the shame. The answer is not to erase shame and say it's not there. The answer is to go to the Lord and receive the mercy and grace of the gospel, to defeat it instead of pretending it's not there. Why does David say he was born in iniquity? He's emphasizing the fact that God always knew. You always knew. And you need to know that in order to make progress in your sexual shame. You need to know that God already knows. And many of you have not come to the Lord because you don't know how to deal with that disappointment in the Lord. But I want to tell you that he already knows and you do not need to be afraid of his reaction. Can I show you this in Romans 5.8? I think this is a beautiful illustration of it. In Romans 5.8, Paul says this. God shows us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word show, God shows us his love for this, is actually the word demonstrate. And in the NIV, it says demonstrate. Well, what's the point of a demonstration? Have you ever gone to a demonstration where they try to sell you these knives? And they say, this knife cuts through uh, wood, and this knife even cuts through a metal Metal pipe, right? Why why is he demonstrating that to you? Because he's trying to prove to you something. He's trying to prove to you, if this knife can cut through a metal pipe, then it could cut your onions, right? I'm trying to prove this to you. Paul says, God is proving something to you. He's proving the kind of love that he has. He demonstrates his love for us in this, that while you were sinning against him, Christ died for you. What kind of love is he trying to prove that he has? 
He's trying to prove to you that the kind of love that he has for you is a love that is unfailing in the face of sin. It's unfailing in the face of sin. And so that if you feel afraid to come to him with sin, he's saying, but I'm proving to you that's exactly what my kind of love is for. When you sin, when you've fallen into your addiction again, I'm trying to demonstrate to you that that's the kind of love that I have for you. He demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's his proof And my brothers and sisters, if you want to overcome the stronghold of sexual shame in your life, you need to know he is not surprised. You need to know he is not ashamed of you. You need to come to him. He's demonstrating it for us so we can see it. Come out of hiding. Swim straight at the shame in repentance, honesty, and confession. The longer you hide it, the greater the power of shame will be over your life. But as you swim to it, believe in the abundance of God's mercy and swim right at it because he already knows. The last, the last um, truth, gospel truth that I want to give to you is this. You cannot earn his forgiveness. You cannot earn his forgiveness. This is something that I, I want to thank my DT sisters who are in the room. This is something we talked about in our meeting. Um, actually, a lot of this we talked about in our meeting, but... Um, I think that one of the things that we need to understand is that there's no way for us to earn his mercy. And this is what I mean by that. And it's not just in regards to sexual sin, but any sin. That sometimes we feel like if we've sinned, then we do something to make up for that sin. So that if you had a one-night stand, you go and serve the homeless. Or if you have looked at pornography, the next day you go to community group or you serve the church. And there's something inside of us that kind of tells us that if I do this, then it will make up for that. My brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, standing on the authority of God's word, that you cannot earn God's forgiveness. Read verse 16 and 17 with me. This is what David says about it. In verse 16, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, O oh God, you will not despise. David is saying, if I could kill a hundred bulls to make up for what I did to Bathsheba, I would do it. Of course I would do it. If I could slaughter 50 goats to make up for killing Uriah, I would do it. But you do, you do not delight in sacrifice. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. In this, what you want from me is a broken and contrite heart. You want me to come to you with honesty. You want me to come to you in confession and repentance. And my brothers and sisters, for us who know the gospel, we need to believe this more than anyone else in the history of the world, that his blood is sufficient and that there's no way you can earn his forgiveness. One of the reasons I'm really harping on this point is that if you believe that you can earn his forgiveness and grace, you will fall into a cycle of earning his forgiveness and grace and never come out of sexual sin. You will believe that you can sin and make up for it and sin and make up for it and sin and make up for it and God will never change your heart. You will get stuck in a cycle, a long season of sexual slavery. My brothers and sisters, there's nothing that will cover your sin except the grace and mercy of the gospel. It's the only thing that will really, really work. I want to tell you... um, 
that there is, if you apply these three truths of the gospel to your heart, then you can start to come out of the shame of sexual sin. There's so much more to say. There are so many practical applications I could give you, and and I haven't today. But I want to speak to those who can't even get started. When you are here in sexual addiction, applying the grace of the gospel is the only way to begin. And when we do, it gives us a new confidence and intimacy to reconnect with the Lord. I want to show you verse 6. This is a surprise in in the passage. In verse 6, this is what David says. Behold... And that word behold in the Hebrew is the word hene, which means surprise, surprise, or look, this is crazy. Behold, he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You know what that means? When we are in our sexual addictions, the last thing that we can believe is that God delights in us, right? But he says, behold, When we receive the grace of the gospel, when that truth comes into our hearts, the most unbelievable thing happens. You delight. You delight in me. My brothers and sisters, that's the exact opposite of what Satan wants you to feel in your sexual shame. You need to understand this and receive this in order to even get started. You can't just manage the symptoms. You need to start to apply the gospel deeply in your hearts. Now, I know that some people might think that doing it this way seems, you know, partly unbelievable, but even almost irresponsible to say that he just forgives you, that he delights in you. How irresponsible of Pastor Dave to talk about grace and not condemn people in their sexual sins. How irresponsible not to talk about accountability for their sexual sins. Now I want to say that there are real consequences to sexual sins. There are, and in many cases there should be. But what would you say to someone who has been living in hiding and are so petrified that they can't even come out and meet with God? How does that person even get started? Do you talk to them about accountability and consequences? My brothers and sisters, we have to understand the power of his abundant mercy. Or we can't even get started. You know, the heart that refuses to come out will not accept the consequences of sexual sin. But a broken and contrite spirit gives himself, herself over to the Lord's will. A repentant heart gives themselves over to the consequences of sexual sin. And if you don't have that, you can't even get started. But David says, when we come and we receive the gospel deep in our hearts, we discover that he actually delights in us. This is my son, my beloved son, my daughter, my beloved daughter. And his abundant mercy is so important for us to get started. The last passage I want to show you is John 15, 19. This is what Jesus tells us. And this is sometimes the most unbelievable thing when we feel shame. He says this, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Those of you here who are living in bondage, can you believe that? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. But I'm stuck in my addictions. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. But I can't stop sinning. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You have to receive that because he says, now abide in my love. Abide in my love. The truth of the gospel, brothers and sisters, has to go into you. That's the only thing that's going to heal you. You have to receive it. And as you do, the Lord will give you an opportunity to be intimate with him again. His mercy is the only thing that's going to convince you that you're allowed to be close to him again, that you're allowed to reconnect with him again. And as the mercy comes in, strongholds will come down. My brothers and sisters, this is the gospel that speaks to our sexual addictions. Many of you have been living in hiding. Stop. Swim directly at shame with the mercy of God. And you will see walls come down this week. Let's go to him in prayer before we go to the Lord's Supper. I'm going to uh, invite the worship team.